Good afternoon from Tyler, Texas. Uh, nice to uh, be able to be with you today as we work through the book of Acts. It's a, a great study written by uh, Luke, one of Paul's traveling companions. Much of the time as we read through this great book and read about Paul's travels on his mission journeys and ultimately his journey to Rome, we find that first person plural, which means that very likely Luke was with him as he was writing those things. Uh, so that's, it's always nice. I like uh, the Gospel of Matthew when I want to read about the uh, time when Jesus stopped at Matthew's tax collector's booth and called him to follow him, and, and then Matthew threw a party for him with all of his outcast friends. I know they're all inspired, and I know they all uh, have pretty similar stories, but I really like uh, to hear that firsthand story, and I think about Matthew on that day, and I think about Luke as he's recording these words, talking to Paul about everything that's happened and experiencing some of the things that have happened uh, himself. Uh, great to see that we have a few joining us, Larry and Lynn Murphy already with us, and that's great. Great to see you guys. I know we'll have some others that will join us now and also that we'll uh, possibly look at it on, uh, on archives a little bit later on. It'll be posted on my Facebook page. It'll also be um, on our website, uh, westerwin.com, on our uh, social media and resources page. Uh, click on the live streaming link and then click on a little bit lower down from there uh, the archives and you'll find it there. And that's where, that's where it'll be. Uh, nice to see my friend Debbie rolling up and waving hello. So hello to you also. Kind of neat to be able to do that. That's always fun and um, uh, great to be a part of the study. Uh, today. We're moving right along through the book of Acts, as you know. 28 chapters. Uh, the last couple of chapters involve the journey on that uh, very uh, memorable <laughs> uh, journey uh, to uh, Rome across the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, then chapter 28, uh, some very moving things that we read about with Paul arriving in, um, in the capital of the empire and meeting with the Jews there and continuing to preach the gospel, even though he is under house arrest, not knowing his fate. Uh, great to see Jerry and Beverly with us as well from that beautiful city of Canton, Texas, and my buddy Suzanne Brawley. Brawley, great to see you. Hooray! Uh, great to see you being with us today uh, as well. We're in Acts 24 today. Um, as we've seen in Acts 22, Paul kind of has to tell his story uh, to defend himself, and he's telling uh, the story as he tells his story. If you weren't able to, to uh, hear that message, you may want to find that one on my Facebook page or maybe on our West Irwin uh, Church site on our Facebook page or on our archives in our westirwin.com live streaming page. Uh, because not only do I tell Paul's story there, reading through Acts 22 and listening in as he tells his story, I also share my story and talk about being able to do that. Paul will do that uh, briefly uh, here in this chapter, but we find more of that later on uh, when we get to chapter 26, as he will be defending himself once uh, again. There are a few different hearings here in this part of the book of Acts, uh, chapter 22 before uh, some of the Jewish leaders uh, here as Paul uh, defends himself before the Roman governor uh, Felix and then um, in chapter 26 before King Agrippa and all of the party 
that is uh, that uh, is joined together there as Paul defends himself before a very illustrious uh, group. Uh, Paul has been arrested in uh, the city of Jerusalem after his third mission journey. It kind of ends abruptly, very likely, as he goes to Jerusalem uh, towards the end of that journey and arrives there having uh, gone through Caesarea and then uh, uh, down a, a little bit to the south, but up a little bit uh, as far as uh, altitude goes. He's in the mountains in Jerusalem and then uh, is arrested. And because there was a threat to his life, there remember in chapter 23, we read about um, a plot to kill him. And there were 40 men who had made a vow and said, we're not going to eat or drink until we kill the Apostle Paul. And um, Paul's nephew hears about it, tells Paul. Paul has him go to uh, the uh, centurion that's kind of in charge of guarding him. And then, uh, and then he goes to the commander and tells him, and the commander says, we got to get you out of here. So he has this huge, uh, uh, huge force of Roman soldiers uh, that accompany uh, the Apostle Paul almost all the way uh, to Caesarea. Get him out of Jerusalem, get him to the kind of headquarters of that uh, Judean uh, province of Rome, and, um, and have him go uh, there and, um, and with a letter from the commander, Lysias, to uh, the Roman governor, Felix, uh, explaining to him why he's sending him and what's happened and and then uh, Felix will have to make a judgment on whether Paul uh, should be convicted uh, or uh, exonerated. Uh, so all of that's going on as uh, Paul has found himself in Caesarea. The Roman governor is Felix, and, um, uh, and uh, he is going to be ruling on this case. So this is a great, this is a great scene. This chapter 24 is... is uh, a great courtroom scene. You get a little bit of a taste of what a first century hearing might be like with the Jews coming from Jerusalem to, to accuse Paul and Paul representing himself to make his defense and tell his little bit of his story, especially as it affects uh, what's happened uh, in Jerusalem that caused him to be arrested. And, um, and then uh, the governor deciding, kind of like Pilate had to decide the fate of Jesus, Roman governor uh, Felix has to decide the fate of Paul, at least at this moment, or at least that's what we think. But as we get to the end, we realize he's pretty incompetent. He hasn't actually decided anything at all. And so he's going to let Paul sit in jail for a couple of years even. Um, we read that and we think, oh, well, that's no big deal. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to sit in jail for two years, uh, especially if I were innocent and waiting for somebody to come along and say, yeah, you got no business being in here, get out of here. But that's not the case. And remember, Paul had, uh, had, had reminded the, those who arrest him along the way that he is a Roman citizen because he realizes he has a much better chance of having a fair trial, receiving justice, being freed, and not being killed by the Romans, the pagan Romans, rather than his own countrymen the Jews. They are so angry and so upset at him for his conversion to Christianity and all the things that he's trying to do uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, who Paul sees as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the fulfillment of all the prophecies that were given. But the Jews, just like Saul of Tarsus did before that experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, uh, they think that he's simply blaspheming and trying to 
stir up trouble for their people, uh, and so they, they challenge him. So that brings us to Acts chapter 24 in this courtroom scene as we uh, are in the presence of the Roman governor Felix, uh, having, uh, having had Paul sent under armed guard to Caesarea, and now uh, some of the uh, Jewish leaders will uh, meet there, and they will stand before uh, the governor as well and make their case. And then Paul will have to uh, defend himself. So we start with the attorney's statement for the plaintiff. And so this is how Acts 24 starts in verse 1. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea. Again, Caesarea is north of Jerusalem, uh, but it is, uh, it is down from Jerusalem because Jerusalem is more in the mountains. Caesarea more towards the Mediterranean Sea coast and uh, much lower elevation. Um, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. Now I like this guy Tertullus. He's he's really fine. He is. Um, let me tell you. I'll go ahead and tell you now what uh, who this guy reminds me of. This guy Tertullus, the attorney for uh, the Jews who are going to charge Paul. He reminds me of Major Cassius Starbuckle. Now, I know some of you remember that name. You remember that name, Major Cassius Starbuckle. And now you're trying to think, where have I heard that name? Where have I heard that name? Well, think about movies from the 60s. Think about a Western. Uh, think about the man who shot Liberty Valance. Great movie. Great movie. And if you haven't seen that movie, I don't know. I think you just need to repent because it is it is just such a fun and great movie. It's got John Wayne. Uh, it's got Jimmy Stewart as the, the lawyer from the East, Ransom Stoddard, uh, the kind of tenderfoot coming back. And of course, John Wayne, the old cowboy. Uh, it's got Vera Miles. It's got uh, Lee Marvin in the title role of Liberty Valance, the Outlaws. So great. So great. Andy Devine plays the bumbling sheriff. It's just, it's just great. And they have this scene where the cattlemen are uh, trying to get uh, them, keep them from achieving statehood. And the, the people, the residents of the towns, they, they want it because it's protection for them. And the cattlemen have this attorney, this spokesman for them by the name of Major Cassius Starbuckle. I believe his name is John Carradine. He's the father of David and Keith and some of the other famous actors through the years. Uh, but he is a, <laughs> he is exactly what this guy Tertullus is. He's just long-winded, speaks in very oratorical language, trying to impress uh, by just the mere words and not by any truth or any evidence. It is uh, amazing. That is exactly what Tertullus reminds me of. And I knew that you would all want to know that. And I know that if you haven't seen The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, then you probably will. And if you have seen it, but it's been a while, then you'll probably want to see that too, because it's got a great song after it uh, too. The man who shot Liberty Valance, he was the greatest of them. Okay, enough, Bill. Off, off. Okay, Acts 24. Tertullus, uh, the lawyer that's representing the Jews and the leaders and the elders against Paul. They brought their charges against Paul before the governor. Uh, when Paul was brought in, Tertullus presented his case before the governor Felix. And now you're going to see why we went on a 
side note there. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. <laughs> Major Cassius Starbuckle in the first century. So great, so great. I don't know if Felix was impressed or not, but uh, Tertullus continues in verse 5. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining uh, him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. Um, and uh, there is a textual variant there that includes verse 7. It may be in your footnotes. That's the way the NIV has it. But the commander Lysias came and took him from us with much violence, ordering his accusers to come before you. That part's true, whether it's in the original or not is a question that you can chase down on your own. But all we have to do is look back to verse to chapter 23, and we know uh, that Lysias, the commander, did that. What uh, Tertullus, in his great oratory, doesn't share with the Roman governor Felix, that the letter has shared already, so Felix already knows this, is that they had a plot to try to kill him. And that's why the Roman commander, Lysias, uh, had Paul moved from Jerusalem uh, to Caesarea. It made the Jewish leaders angry because they were wanting him to just kind of have to go across town and then the, these men who had uh, plotted to kill him be able to carry out that assassination plot. Uh, but the commander hears about it from Paul's nephew. He has Paul taken under heavy guard, not any violence, but just heavy guard to uh, Caesarea. And that's where they are now. And so now Tertullus has made uh, his case. Verse 9, the other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. Now, the one thing that we don't hear in these first nine verses is any evidence whatsoever. Granted, there are witnesses. Granted, there's testimony. Uh, but it's all of Paul's enemies. <laughs> so basically, they're just corroborating each other's stories because they're buddies and they want this guy dead. Uh, and the Roman governor, I think, is going to be able to see through it because he is not going to pronounce him guilty. He's not going to let him go, but he's also not going to pronounce him worthy of death. Um, and it's interesting what, um, what Tertullus tells the most excellent Felix, as uh, he calls him. Um, he talks about the charges. This man is a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. Not exactly true. Uh, Paul does share the gospel, and he does talk about Jesus, this crucified man that Paul saw alive, who had been raised from the dead after three days, as the long-awaited Messiah. Now, that is true, and there were some people that reacted very strongly against that. Um, and so, to that extent, Paul was involved in a lot of riots. He was, as we know, we've seen him. We've seen the riots in Ephesus. We've seen him arrested in Philippi. We've seen him run out of town by the Jews in Thessalonica and the Thessalonian Jews in neighboring Berea. Uh, we've seen all of that. Um, but here, uh, again, that's, that's really not, not uh, Governor Felix's deal. This is, 
this is about your law, he might say. You guys go and deal with that, just as we've seen some other uh, Roman authorities do uh, previously. Um, but he continues on. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Uh, well, you know, there could be some truth to that. Obviously, Paul was one of the leaders of the first century church. They call it a sect of the Jews after Jesus the Nazarene because uh, he was raised in uh, Nazareth in Galilee, born in Jerusalem, or born in Bethlehem in Judea near Jerusalem. Uh, so they call it the Nazarene sect. Later, Paul will refer to it as the way um, that he uh, sees. Um, and so they, he even tried, verse 6, to desecrate the temple, and that is not true. That is not true. Paul never did that. Paul never did that. They saw some uh, pagans that Paul had converted that were Christians that he brought along with him uh, from uh, different areas such as uh, Ephesus and other areas where he had been, Macedonia and modern-day Greece perhaps, um, uh, the area of western modern-day Turkey, the province of Asia as the Romans called it in the first century, where Ephesus and the other seven cities of Asia were. Um, but Paul would never try to desecrate the temple. He was a good Jew. He was just seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of the Jewish hopes. Uh, so that, that was not true. That was just uh, not true. And Paul will explain himself here in just a little bit. And then, of course, verse 8, by examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about all these charges that we are bringing against him. And that's how he makes his case. <laughs> all he needs is evidence. All he needs is some reason for the governor to believe that this is true. But as we saw with Jesus before Pilate, sometimes uh, mob rule gets its way uh, when a person's power is at stake. And uh, Felix, though he's not willing to pronounce guilt, again, is not willing to let Paul go um, either. And he has an ulterior motive that we'll read about at the end of the chapter. So that's the attorney's statement for the plaintiff. The plaintiff is the Jewish leader's. Um, and the attorney is Tertullus, uh, and with his flowery speech praising uh, the governor, Felix, and um, bringing the charges against Paul. And now we're going to get to hear Paul's defense. Paul doesn't have an expensive lawyer with him. He represents himself. But remember, that's not a bad thing, because Paul himself was as learned a man as you possibly could find. He was very learned in the Jewish custom, obviously, being raised a Jew, he was a Roman citizen. His parents were Roman citizens. Uh, he was from a significant city, Tarsus of Cilicia. Uh, he studied under the great Gamaliel in Jerusalem. Uh, and so he's got a broad bit of experience. And now he's been a world traveler as well, uh, going all the way uh, to, uh, into Europe and into uh, Mesopotamia and Achaia, the northern and southern provinces of the Roman Empire in modern day uh, Greece. So he's, he's well-traveled, and now he's going to make his case. And Paul, to a lesser degree, puts on his major Cassius Starbuckle hat. Uh, but for Paul, he doesn't have to do that much because uh, he's innocent, and he knows it, and he can tell the story to prove it. So the defendant represents himself, and he does it again, just as he did in chapter 22 and will in chapter 26 by, by telling his story. Here, it's a little bit briefer. It's abbreviated. It doesn't talk all about his conversion like chapters 22 and 26 uh, do. 
So Acts 24, beginning in verse 10. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. And that's all he says. Uh, that's all he says about trying to tell Felix, the governor, what a great and wonderful man he is, so that maybe he will rule in his favor. For Paul, he is respectful. He's respectful whether it's to Jewish authorities or Roman authorities, to anyone. And he teaches us to be respectful of civil authorities too, even civil authorities that are antagonistic to us, as we find in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 and 1 Timothy 2 and other places. Um, Paul and Peter and other first century writers, they, uh, that's, that's one of the things that we find amazing in the New Testament that was um, people were being uh, arrested and beaten and imprisoned and killed for the cause of Christ, and yet we find those words, it's amazing, it's amazing uh, to read and very challenging for us in 21st century America to think of how the first century church in the Roman Empire uh, handled the same civil issues that we may be going through uh, today and in the future. So Paul continues now to defend himself <clears throat> in verse 11 of Acts 24. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. That was the end of his third mission journey. He didn't think it was going to be the end, but it turned out that it was. My accusers, verse 12, did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. True, he wasn't there to raise a ruckus. He was there uh, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. Also true. Uh, but as we have seen, that doesn't always mean anything. Verse 14, however, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. The one thing that Paul will admit to, that he'll say, if this is the charge, then guilty is charged. And that is, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? I remember way back when, 63 years old now, and being converted to Christ in, in, uh, 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 in 1972, uh, baptized into Jesus then, having been a follower of Jesus for uh, a few years before that even, um, I remember that there was this uh, kind of catchphrase back then uh, where it was kind of a little anecdote, a little hook to make you feel a little guilty, but also to challenge your thinking and your life. And it, it was something like this. It said, if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Uh, that's a pretty great statement. If you were accused of being a follower of Christ, of being a disciple of Jesus, of being a Christian, uh, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And, and for Paul, he says, look, if the charge is that I'm a Christian, that I'm a follower of Jesus, that I, I'm a member of this Nazarene sect, as they call it, the way, then yeah, uh, guilty. Guilty as charged. I'll gladly be punished for the cause of Christ, Paul says, if that's it. I think our lives, uh, we need to take a look at our lives as well and say, well, if, 
if someone wasn't just listening to our words as we gave testimony, if they were looking at our lives, would our lives indicate that, yeah, I, I follow Jesus? A very, very important question for us to ask ourselves. And Paul says, look, I, I've come here because of my Jewish faith. <laughs> you know, he says, I'm, I'm a Christian today because of everything that's written in the law and the prophets. I don't, I don't oppose those things. I, I believe what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, look, I've not come to abolish the law uh, or destroy the law. I've come to fulfill it. For Paul, that's what he realized after he had that face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus and then prayed and fasted for three days uh, in the city of Damascus and then was baptized by Ananias and had his sins washed away and, and then continued, began to serve Christ and, and study uh, his Bible to, to hear the words that he'd been so familiar with and now realize what they meant and how they were fulfilled. Um, and so Paul stresses that. He says, look, this is, this is who I am and this is why. Um, this is why. And then he says there's something more I believe in. I do believe in the resurrection. And remember earlier he had, <laughs> he had uh, caused a stir when he realized that the group before him were the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the thing about the sect of the Sadducees is that they didn't believe in the resurrection. And the Pharisees, one of whom was Paul, uh, certainly did. Uh, so he kind of made that distinction, and that's when they were about to tear him apart, and that's when the commander had to come in and say, look, what is going on? we got to save this guy and figure this out. Um, and so Paul says, look, if that's, the, if that's the question, do I believe in the resurrection or not, then yes, I do. If the question is, do I believe in the traditions of my, my fathers and my heritage, the, the Jewish nation, then yes, I do. I do believe those things. But if the question is also, am I a follower of Jesus the Nazarene? the one who was convicted and crucified, uh, the one who I believe was raised from the dead because I saw him alive after he had been killed, then I, I confess that is exactly who I am, and that is what I uh, believe. And so he says, look, I've, I, I try to do things right. Verse, 10, verse 16 says, I, I've tried to keep a clear conscience. Uh, and, and that is one of the things that Paul says on a few different occasions, including in 1 Timothy uh, 1. And so he's able to uh, defend himself, and his defense continues in Acts 24, verse 17. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. That may have been what we read about uh, there in the end of Acts 11, when uh, Paul and Barnabas were called upon to go and, and collect some money from the church at Antioch and take it to the people who were going to be facing a famine, they found out from the prophet Agabus. Um, and so Paul says, yeah, I went, I went to Jerusalem. I went to bring, bring those gifts. Or it could be some gifts that he had at the end of his second or third mission journey that he had, had taken and collected from some of the uh, uh, Gentile believers, uh, such as he writes about to the church at Corinth. Very likely that earlier trip is what he's referring to uh, here. Verse 18, I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. So as we read along this, we see, well, you know, Paul could be talking about a few different things, but he seems to be talking about his most recent experiences and the things that caused them to arrest him and to charge him uh, with desecrating the temple, as they said. Verse 19, 
but there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was the one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Paul says, look, the, the people I had with me, they, they, they didn't desecrate the temple. I, I was faithful when I was at the, in the synagogues. I was faithful when I was in the temple. I, I was glad to make my defense before the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. Uh, and if there's anything that you want to convict me of today, then you can convict me of the belief in the resurrection from the dead. Being a Pharisee, he had always believed that. But now, having seen the resurrected Jesus, he really believes that this is sometime in the late A.D. 50s, uh, 50s C.E., the Common Era. And so we're, you know, we're about um, 30 years into this, 25 or 30 years into this thing. Uh, for Paul, uh, about 20 or 25 years uh, as a Christian, and he's seen all of these things. He's been on three mission journeys. He's been to Jerusalem for that Jerusalem conference. He has seen the resurrected Lord. He has had visions from Jesus, uh, such as in Corinth in Acts 18, encouraging him. Uh, he has talked to others who were firsthand witnesses of the resurrection of Christ, including the apostle Peter uh, and James, the brother of the Lord. Uh, he's, he's done all of these things. And so now as he stands before this Roman governor, he says, look, you want to know what I believe? I'll be glad to tell you. I believe in the resurrection of the dead, without a doubt, unquestionably. Um, and I think based on the witness and the testimony of people we read about in Scripture, uh, we can believe in it just as strongly, just as strongly. Um, verse 22, we've heard the attorney's statement for the plaintiff, the lawyer Tertullus, in his eloquence, we've heard the Apostle Paul very honestly and straightforwardly make his defense, respond to the charges, uh, not guilty of things that were illegal, um, being guilty of being a Christian, guilty of believing in the resurrection and the hope of the Jews, absolutely. And so now uh, we're going to hear the Governor Felix's judgment and how he responds uh, to the teaching of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Acts 24, beginning at verse 22, and we'll read uh, to the end. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. So Lysias, the commander that had Paul sent under armed guard from Jerusalem to Caesarea, he's not there, but the Jewish accusers are there. They're the ones that have uh, accused Paul. Uh, and so they're telling their story, and Paul tells his defense, and then Felix says, well, I'll wait till the commander actually comes. And as we said, he has some ulterior motives uh, as well. Uh, verse 23, Felix ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Now, Felix knows he's not a flight risk. Uh, I think he knows that he's been unjustly charged. Uh, and he sees how this is all playing out, and he's familiar with the Jews and with their customs. I mean, this is his province. This is his area. Um, and he's also uh, has married into some of the those that are connected with the Jewish uh, people, as we'll see in just a moment. And so he gives him a little bit of liberty. Uh, and, and it's a good thing that he doesn't release him, because the Jews would try to kill him. And he has that letter from the Roman 
uh, commander Lysias uh, there in Jerusalem. And so he knows what could happen. Um, so he shows a little bit of uh, a good discretion here. Uh, verse 24, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, verse 25, Felix was afraid. The traditional translation, Felix trembled and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. That was that ulterior motive. He was wanting to make some money off of Paul. He was wanting him to pay him something to get him to get his release. Um, verse 27, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. I always have trouble remembering which one was the first one, Felix or Festus. And the best way I know, this is one of those where it actually works to think alphabetically. So Felix comes before Festus. Uh, it doesn't always work. It's how I remember in the Old Testament that Isaiah comes before Jer Jeremiah, I before J. But with Daniel and Ezekiel, it doesn't work so well because Ezekiel comes before Daniel. And, and so that's no good. And Psalms comes before Proverbs. So Bill's little theories, you, you, they're, they're okay. They might be helpful, but you have to remember that there are exceptions. <laughs> in this case, the rule is good. It is in alphabetical order. Uh, Felix first and then Festus. And Paul is not going to uh, find his case uh, confirmed until after the hearing uh, that Festus has when King Agrippa is in town. So a little bit about this, um, this hearing, a little bit about Felix and Drusilla and his response to all of this that's going on with the Apostle Paul. Uh, Felix, first of all, says he's well acquainted with the way. He knows about the Jewish law. He knows about their customs. Um, he knows about the sects of the Jews, uh, such as the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and now he knows about this Christianity thing, uh, this way, as Paul calls it. Uh, Felix and his wife, Drusilla, come to Paul uh, to hear more about it and, uh, of course, again, to see if he would offer them money. Uh, but she was a Jewish woman, and she was the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. Uh, he was the uh, Herod who had James killed, the apostle James killed in Acts chapter 12. And she was also, of course, the grandson, or he was the grandson of Herod the Great, uh, her father. So, uh, and Herod the Great was the one uh, who tried to kill off Jesus when he was first uh, born. Uh, so there, there's a lot of history here, and Felix is kind of married into some of the Jewish power. And, uh, and so Felix and Drusilla, obviously, she's going to be interested in, in what's going on here. And he is too, not just because of his uh, familiarity with the Jews from his wife, but also because this is, the, the, in a sense, this is part of his people. Uh, he is the Roman governor uh, of this area that includes much of where uh, the area where the Jews uh, live, such as Jerusalem and Judea and uh, Caesarea. And then there's that verse, uh, verse 25. Uh, in the NIV, several, uh, as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. 
and said, that's enough for now, you may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. You know, Felix may have just thought he was just kind of, he and his wife just wanted to hear it from Paul firsthand, some of the stories, some of his travels, uh, some of the things that he's been saying that they've been hearing about this Christian sect. Uh, but that's not, that wasn't Paul's agenda. I'm sure he did that some, but he went further than that. And, and we have to do that as well. We have to do it appropriately. We have to do it humbly. Um, we have to do it considerately and respectfully because we ourselves are sinners. And, and that's where we start. We start from a, from a place of humility, from a place that says without the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, I would be without hope in this world. But through Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed on the cross has cleansed me from my sins, and it can cleanse yours as well. But to do that, you have to establish that there's a right and wrong. You have to establish that there's righteousness and sinfulness. Um, you have to establish some accountability for sin. And so as Paul is talking to them, this man who has say over whether Paul lives or dies. Paul talks to him about his soul. He talks to him about these things. Verse 25, righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. For Paul, he says, look, this, this is serious. Your eternal soul is at stake here, governor, with all due respect. And if you don't practice self-control, if you're not willing to give your life to Christ, if you're not willing to receive the righteousness that comes from God, then um, there's judgment ahead. And, and that's all that you have looking ahead for you. Well, at those words, uh, the governor, the Roman governor, who like um, the jailer that Paul talked to in Acts 16 in Philippi, uh, this Roman governor is realizes he's not the one with the power. It's God that has the power. It's this Jesus whom Paul is preaching about who actually has the power, just like Jesus told Pilate himself. You know, you, you would have no authority unless it were given to you. Um, and I, I am a king. My kingdom is not of this world. I don't have soldiers who fight like your soldiers fight. Um, but my kingdom is a spiritual one. Well, Paul talks to the governor, Felix, about some of these things and his wife, Drusilla, and, and the man is scared. And the word there means, you know, he was alarmed, the English Standard Version says in Acts 24, verse 25. Uh, he trembled, as we said, the familiar translation. The idea is he was afraid. He became afraid. He heard the words and the preaching of Paul, and he was fearful. He became frightened. Uh, the word is used also in Luke 24 a couple of times when the women are there and, and Jesus has been raised from the dead and they see these angels and they're, they're afraid. That's his term. They tremble. Um, and, and when they see Jesus, it's the same term um, when Mary Magdalene sees Jesus. And so it's, 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 that, it's that word. It's the same word that Cornelius is described at when he has that vision of an angel calling him to send uh, for the Apostle Peter um, to hear the gospel himself. Um, that's the word. That's the kind of fear that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ has in a person's heart when they really hear it. And to Felix's credit, he really heard it. 
And when Paul was talking about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, uh, Felix knew that he was talking to him. And, uh, and it scared him. It just flat scared him. But it didn't scare him in a good way to develop the fear of God, that, that term that means holding God in the highest degree of reverence and respect and awe. It wasn't that kind of fear. It, all, all he did was say, whoa, 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 stop for now, stop for now. Um, as the old, again, the old translation, when I have a convenient season, um, I'll send for you. I always think of Dana Carvey's church lady in the old Saturday night live sketches. When I find it convenient, I'll just send for you. Well, there's, unfortunately, um, Felix's heart was about in the same place as that church lady. Uh, it was it was not in a good place. And he wasn't trying to hear the gospel so that he could put his life right with his creator. Um, as the passage says, verse 26, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. And, and I know Paul talked with him. Of course, what else was he going to do? Uh, this man uh, had him in jail, basically, uh, with some freedom. Uh, but he for Paul, again, he's not going to turn down any opportunity to talk about Jesus. And so he did that freely and openly, but he did that uh, firmly. He did that firmly. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. I hope that when you hear messages like that, that you don't do what Felix did, that you don't tremble, and that you don't become afraid and then cut it off. Instead, I hope that you tremble a bit and become afraid a little bit because the wages of sin is death. That, there's no way you can sugarcoat that. But the rest of that verse in Romans 6.23 says this, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the good news of the gospel. You can't have the good news until you establish, first of all, that everyone is a sinner. Uh, there's none righteous, no, not even one, Isaiah says in Isaiah 59. And Paul quotes, uh, Isaiah and others uh, in that in incredible, uh, incredible statement in Romans chapter 3 when he ultimately establishes that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But because of that, all, all are free to accept Jesus Christ, to believe in him and to respond in faith and to do what Paul himself did, to be baptized and have their sins washed away. Uh, there's nothing to indicate that Felix and Drusilla ever did that. Um, and that's a sad, sad thing. He keeps Paul in jail for two years, verse 27 says, until he's no longer the governor. Um, and we're reminded of uh, some other stories. We're reminded of Joseph in the Old Testament book of Genesis, uh, who uh, was sold out by his brothers and ended up for 13 years uh, being uh, either in prison or a slave. And while he was in, in jail, um, he uh, was able to uh, interpret a dream of the kings uh, in Egypt, the king's cupbearer and baker. Uh, and they came to pass. Uh, the man who was the cupbearer was restored, and the man who was the baker had his head chopped off. And Joseph heard their dreams, and he said, well, God, God can uh, interpret dreams, and here's what the interpretation is. Well, it was who knows how long. Uh, Genesis doesn't give us any specifics other than he was 17 when his brothers sold him uh, to those travelers, and then uh, he was 30 when Pharaoh restored him. But we do know that 
after the cupbearer uh, left and was restored to Pharaoh's good graces, Joseph had told him, hey, remember your old buddy, old pal Joseph here in jail. I, I, I shouldn't be here at all, and yet here I am, so get me out of here when you have the chance, but he doesn't until Pharaoh has dreams, and he dreams uh, those things in, in Genesis about the, the seven healthy cows being eaten up by the seven skinny ones and not getting any fatter, and the seven healthy heads of grain versus the seven skinny heads of grain that are unhealthy, and yet they get no healthier. And, and it's, it's Joseph that is sent for to stand before Pharaoh and, and interpret those dreams for him and becomes very high and mighty in the land. Uh, and we know that story so well. It's a great story. But again, uh, Joseph is sitting in jail waiting to be released, and he's hoping this will be it, and it's not. And so Paul is hoping that he will be released here, and, and he's not. At the end of the book of Acts, in Acts 28, Paul is in, under house arrest in Rome for a couple of years as well. So again, we, we think light of these things, but remember Paul is a living, breathing human being. Uh, he is a man. He's a flesh and blood man, and, and he's in jail unjustly, and he's been beaten, and he's been accused, and all of these things. Um, and we shouldn't uh, just gloss over those things as if they didn't have any effect uh, on this man who gave everything he had for the cause of Christ, uh, because um, he did exactly that. Again, this last verse in Acts 24, verse 27. When two years had passed, Felix the governor was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. He leaves Paul in jail to appease the Jews. And that's where chapter 24 ends. Um, and then coming up, we'll see in chapter 25 that the new governor wants to hear what's going on and, and decide on all these cases that were left on the books uh, by his predecessor. Um, and then later on, he's going to receive a visit from the king, from King Agrippa, uh, which is what they typically did when the new guy came to power. Then they had to go by and make a visit and make sure that they were all good buddies and everything, just politics just like today. But that's when Paul has a chance to tell his story in Acts 26 again, and he will, and he will. He has told it before the governor here. He will tell it before Governor Festus, tell it before King Agrippa, uh, and his sister Bernice, and all who are gathered in that austere hearing. Um, and we're reminded of, of a couple of prophecies in the book of Acts. First, the command of Jesus in Acts 1, verse 8, to be his witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And for Paul, he was very active in, um, in, in all of those. Uh, but then when he is converted in Acts chapter 9, and Ananias comes to him, and he tells Paul, you're going you're gonna to be telling his story. Jesus tells him, you're going to be telling my story. You're going to be telling it to uh, simple people, uh, poor people, but you're also going to be telling it to very high-ranking officials, uh, to kings and those who are in power and authority. And we see the fulfillment of that already here as Paul makes his case before the Roman governor, uh, Felix, and then again, when he stands before the Roman governor Festus and King Agrippa, uh, and ultimately Paul will realize that the only way that he can save his own life is to play that Roman citizen card and appeal to Caesar, and that's what happens, and that's how we get to Rome, 
at the end of this great story that we call the book of Acts. I'm glad that you joined me. It's great to see everybody. Uh, we'll take this up on Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, where we will be talking about the next chapter in Acts chapter 25, uh, which leads up to that great defense that Paul has in Acts chapter 26. Uh, I hope and pray that you're safe. Uh, I ask you to continue to pray for uh, us here at West Irwin and for our leaders and for our members and also, uh, of course, for uh, wherever you are in your church family. Could be here, could be somewhere else. And, um, and pray for our families during this very difficult time and for, for our nation. I find myself praying a lot uh, to God for our church, for our family, uh, and for our nation. It's a very, very challenging time, but you know, God has faced challenging times before. God's people have faced challenging times before. And just like the Apostle Paul, um, we trust in the God. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that he will see us through. God bless you as you share that message of hope.